You guys are listening to the Jordan Garber Now podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jordan Garber Now podcast. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And today is a big reflection on the history of Jordan Garber Now, even under different names. I had the honor and privilege to interview some great stars throughout my interviewing career. And today we have Kid Cash from 2013 with co-host Siki Assad and some callers. And of course, we have Sam Udell, who is in WWE NXT as Travis Tyler as 2014's best interview, one of my favorites. And of course, our main event interview again is Frankie Kazarian from 2015, marking this in part one of the best of Jordan Garber now. And all of the action is up next here on Apple Podcasts. Are you looking for the best vehicle for your needs at an affordable budget? Well, Hickman Auto Sales and Financing has exactly what you're looking for. Choose from a wide variety of vehicles like the 2012 Hyundai Tucson GLS, the 2016 Chrysler 200 LX, and the 2020 Chevrolet Tahoe. All trades are accepted and paid off and child tax, pension, disability, EI, social assistance, or self-employed are all approved. Low payments of $0 down. For more information, call 204-898-3511 or visit hickmanautofinancing.com. Tell them Jordan Garber now sent you. All right. So this interview with Kid Cash that's uh, coming up next is really interesting. My co-host at the time, Siki Asar, we this was our second or third show into Wrestling Radio Ultimate and like probably about the fifth of my career. The first ever interview I did was with Chuck Fader in the year of 2008, which was 12 years ago. That's how long I've been involved in pro wrestling. But this one was a really good one because this is one of my fifth episodes and it wasn't well done audio wise or anything, but just well done on getting a big name uh, under my belt. And he was one of the first Kid Cash. So I have to thank him so much for that. And, uh, this was back in the, the wrestling world 247 days, so things were definitely quite wacky back then. And uh, I definitely uh, enjoy sharing this one with you guys. Enjoy. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Two racks in my jeans, two sacks for the head, caught a shit brain freeze. Two raps to the head, turn it up to the red, if not, then turn it dead. A mouth on my turnip head, money like Hermes, like I don't fuck with the piggy though. I'm in love with Molly, well connected from Houston out to Raleigh. I can do a show where even you couldn't probably. I'm sure like Polly, pass the ball, it's volley. Your girl's all at home alone like Macaulay. Welcome to Wrestling Radio Ultimate. I am your host, Jordan Garber, alongside my co-host, Siki Assad, and we have a very special guest today. Who is, who oh, is yes, our special we do. guest today? It is Kid Cash. And Kid Cash, are you on the line right now? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep, I can yes, hear you. Yes, we can. Awesome. And I'm here. Awesome. So, you know, um, how are you doing, Kid Cash? Um, what's new with you? I'm just, I'm doing well. Just, uh... 
getting some stuff going on. Got a school over in England I'm uh, about to launch and a couple tryouts and uh, have my business here in Nashville and just another day. Well, you know yeah, what? Yeah, I'm really... Go first, you can. All right. Okay. I'm real excited about this whole interview, Kid Cash, because, you know, I was casually, like, kind of interactive with you, like, back in the days, you know, when I was in Princeton, West Virginia, I know of a certain bartender you used to, like, chill with. And yeah, then, exactly. you know, uh, Patty Lackey. Oh, yeah, okay, good, good, yeah. Yeah, and then I was also the the guy, me and the little white dude was at um, the TNA show also. We were having you and Gunner at um, the Salem Civic Center in Salem, Virginia, remember? Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, so, I'll be damned. Yeah, I only did it because I like you, though. I'm a fan. <laughs> well, good. So, my question is, yeah, so I got a question. Yeah, I know they're very sorry, guys. Um, this, if the fans don't know, Kid Cash is a very accomplished wrestler. He's made it to the top. He's wrestled around the world. He's in, he was in TNA. He is in WWE. So, um, we just want to let you all know that this, we're really excited to have Kid Cash here on the show. And um, before um, let, we'll let Tiki finish, and uh, we'll start getting ready with questions and callers. Actually, that was a good add-on to what I was saying because Kid Cash has wrestled everywhere. And um, of all the promotions you wrestled in, what's your favorite? I'm just wondering. <clears throat> well, my favorite of all time is going to have to be ECW. You know, uh, when I was there, it was just a different type of a dressing room. It was a different type of a feel, you know, different type of a vibe, um, you know, uh, that's probably my favorite dressing room. Uh, the most, uh, you know, cherished probably is, uh, you know, when you work your ass off trying to make it in this business, you know, you, of course, want to make it to the WWE dressing room, of course. So, you know, uh, that was my goal in the end. And TN, uh, not TNA, but ECW started it off for me. But everybody there was just so awesome, you know. Uh, everybody got along and... Uh, we all worked hard, and we all tried to, you know, make that one company something, you know, really big together, you know. We got a caller from yeah, here. Uh, we got a caller. They're probably on from Skype. You're on the air. Do you have a question for Kid Cash? Hello? 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 Um, you all up? Kid again. Cash, you got a question? Yeah, what do you think about uh, Daniel Bryan? What do you, uh, can you give me uh, Daniel Bryan? You like Daniel Bryan or what? We, we're going to go, what? you know what, I'm going to, you can call back a bit later. Wait um, a minute, why, why? We're going to call back a bit later because we're not here to talk about uh, Daniel Bryan right now. Daniel Bryan's obviously an accomplished wrestler, but our main guest here is Kid Cash, and I don't really want to follow up in the... Uh, current storylines at WWE when I want to ask one of the wrestlers I was a fan of for a long time I want to get the interview you know most of it done before we can ask questions like that so uh, Kid Cash what inspired you to become a pro wrestler? Um, it really I don't know I just kind of fell into it uh, you know I've always done um, you know mixed martial arts and boxing since I was uh, like really young 
uh, started all of that at about the age of seven. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, just kind of, when I was a teenager, you know, I would watch wrestling on TV and stuff, and I played other sports and stuff like that. But just happened to meet a couple of guys in the gym one day, and, you know, I went to a show and then wound up meeting, um, you know, the Road Warriors and Tim Horner and uh, the Rock and Roll Express. And just from, you know, meeting those guys and, you know, listening to them, and uh, we actually went out on the road with them, and uh, it, we just kind of fell into it. Uh, it wasn't anything that I was planning on doing. It just kind of happened, you know. You know, that's uh, really cool. So do you remember the first match you've ever had as a wrestler after you finished training and everything? Uh, well, you know, I never really trained, honestly. I just kind of, like, got in the car and went with everybody and watched matches and, you know, watched mix and watched the merchandise and watched their matches. And, you know, that's how Ricky and Robert kind of trained me whenever we were, you know, on the road. I would sit in the back seat, you know, and we would, uh, you know, talk about wrestling. And then along the way, we would be picking up guys, you know, uh, Junkyard Dog back in the day, you know, the Moon Dogs and Jerry Lawler and, you know, stuff. So I was in the car with these, these guys for like the first, you know, two to three years, you know, so... I never really got in the ring and wrestled and trained. It just happened all one day, and uh, I was in uh, Arkansas and uh, with uh, Ricky and uh, Robert, and one guy didn't show up, and they needed to stand in, and I got in there, and it uh, wasn't the greatest match in the world, but it, it served its purpose, and it just started from there. So, Siki, uh, your turn You to ask Kid Cash a few questions. Yeah. Huh? The question, the question I was wondering is, um, what, what? Because I, I know you've held a few titles. I know you were the WWE Cruiserweight t Champion and the one-time BCW Television Champion. Which title? Because I'm sure you probably held some more throughout the Indies and there where you wrestled. What title was your favorite? As far as like meaning the most, just all together. What was your favorite title? I guess I'm asking. Uh, you know, WWE, like I said before, WWE was is, is the pinnacle of wrestling, you know. So if you win a title in there, you've kind of like summarized your whole career, you know. But like I said before, you know, ECW meant a lot to me. Um, and that was like my first major title, you know. That was my first recognized title that I'd ever won. So that one probably holds more memory, you know. But uh, as far as prestige goes, it was you know, the WWE Cruiserweight title. <clears throat> All right. And I'm you won that at uh, Armageddon 2005, right? What's that? You won that at Armageddon 2005, correct? Yes. Oh, I remember that. Then you, um, then there was a Funaki, and then you cut a promo on winning the title. I remember that. I saw that on YouTube. That That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I beat Hoop and Two Guerrero. And then uh, uh, Punaki and I did a short little angle. <clears throat> I dropped him on his head on the stage. Well, I Ow. didn't see that. So I, I, I was guessing you were a heel for the most time, not just in WWE, but in your career. No, actually, I was a, a babyface uh, from the beginning of my career up until I went back to ECW uh, in, like, 98. Um, I... Even as even there, I was a babyface. But once I left ECW, um, I, I came into uh, 
you know, WCW, and I was more of a tweener there, but that didn't, you know, the, the company got sold and stuff, so it, I wasn't there very long at all. Then I went to TNA, um, where, you know, it started off as a baby, but, you know, we, uh, sooner or later, you, you kind of have to kind of revise your, your character a little bit, so we tried to heal character, and it just uh, kind of went from there. Uh, I'm a pretty uh, mean heel. So just kind of worked. I agree with that. You are a pretty mean heel. <laughs> is, is it more fun to be a heel or a face? Um, I, uh, being a heel, to me, is fun. I mean, you know, you get to act out your aggressions and stuff, you know, and... Um, you know, and it, to me, you, you it, it's a good way to, to test your level with the crowd. You know, you can go out there and be a baby face and smile and do drop kicks and little cute moves and get, you know, collapse and stuff like that. But to be a true heel, uh, you're not out there to get cheers. You're, you're, your cheers are the boots. So it's a little challenging you know, sometimes if you're not a good one, you know, to get out there and try to actually get the booze because the crowd is so smart today that, you know, if they see something, you know, they don't like it, then they'll just, you know, they'll <laughs> start chanting it's lame or whatever, you know. I mean, so you really have to work extra hard to to get under their skin, you know, and uh, not worried about being cheered at all. If you've ever seen my, my heel, you know, and I, when I go out there, I'm not there to get cheered. I'm there to piss off every person that's in that building. So, generally, I do that. Yeah, so, well, like, you do a pretty good job. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm sure I've had people on their ride home talking about me, you know, on their way home after watching, you know, paying a ticket and watching the show. You know, that's what you have to do. You you, you, you want to make the, the crowd remember you, you know. So you have to stand out in, in the, the greatest possible way that you can. And, you know, in my case, you know, as a baby face, my standing out was the extreme high-flying that I used to do, you know, the top rope her around driving out of the ring and, you know, third, fourth row and stuff, planches and coming off of balconies into tables and, you know, just stuff like that. But then when you turn heel... You know, it's a completely different story. You can't go out there and do all that high-flying stuff because you'll get cheered whenever you're supposed to be getting booed. So I go and just do whatever I can. I mean, if I see a, a woman in the wheelchair sitting front row, then there's my target, you know, and I go right for it, you know, because it's, you know, if I see a kid standing there with a sign of his favorite wrestler, you know, it doesn't matter if he's, you know, 5 or 10, 12 or 13, I'm going to rip it out of his hand and rip it up in front of him, you know, because that's what a heel does. It's all about, and like Rick told me, it's all about fan reaction in this business. It's all about getting a pop from the crowd, good or bad. That's what someone said in an interview that I did on my wrestling site. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, uh, the majority of the time, it's, you know, I mean, you don't see it on TV, but you see it mostly on the indies um, where the, you know, the, the crowd is cheering the heels when they're firing us. I mean... It's just not there, you know. Supposed to, that's just not the way it's supposed to be, you know. And, and a lot of these guys sit back and wonder why they've been working, you know, five, ten years, and they, you know, haven't made any tryouts, or if the tryouts that they've had, they just didn't get called back, you know. You're not out there to shine, you know. You're out there to make each other look like a million dollars, and that's just the bottom line. All right. Well, um, I have one thing I got to say. 
You said you try to be memorable. One memorable thing that you used to do was when you came out with the kid rock gear and you had the hat and you came out with ball with a ball and all that. I remember that. I thought that was one of the coolest things ever. Yeah, well, honestly, I didn't even know who the hell Kid Rock was at that time. Uh, he had just really? started coming out. Yeah, I had no clue. Uh, Jason Knight is the one who clued me in on it. Um, I just, uh, and I was David Jericho for my first 10 years. I've only been Kid Cash the last 10. Um, oh, well, okay. last one. Yeah, so it's... It, uh, <laughs> Whenever I was told I was going to be Kid Cash, uh, I didn't know the story behind it until later. And it was Joey Styles, Tommy Dreamer. Uh, I think they were doing some production and editing in Paul's house on the show. And that my match with Easy Money, we I did that uh, Super Hurricane off the top rope, you know, to him. And um, you know, at the end, I kind of stood up on the ropes and and did like a little shot to the you know hard camera. And I had the long hair and you know and stuff and. Um, whenever uh, the, the tape ended, you know, the TV kicked in and Kid Rock um, Cowboy um, video was showing. And he was also doing like a facial shot up into the camera and it just kind of clicked. We almost kind of like looked alike in a way. And, uh, yeah. It, it just came together and, you know, so I showed up for work in Poughkeepsie, New York and <coughs> Tommy Dreamer passed me and says, hello, David Jericho, and then he stops as he passes me and he turns around and he goes, uh, by the way, you are now Kid Cash. Uh, start dressing and looking like Kid Cash would. And that's, that was pretty much it, you know. So uh, Jason Knight and a couple of the other wrestlers, Nova and everybody, kind of like, man, you, you need to, you know, jump on this and uh, do some Kid Rock stuff, um, and I had absolutely no clue who Kid Rock was. <laughs> I didn't even listen to Kid Rock rap music. I was, you know, I've always been the, you know, the rock and roll, heavy metal, you know, type guy, you know, Scandinavian metal, <laughs> you know, really, you know, the old school hard rock kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's how that all came about. Um, uh, Tommy Dreamer and, and um, Joey Styles said, I play Kid Rock. They gave me the name, and then the guys in the dressing room kind of all teamed up together, and, you know, uh, Rob Van Dam bought me one of my first shirts, you know, and uh, brought it back from L.A. and was like, here, this will get you started. And then, um, what was the thing, Roadkill. Uh, him and Nova got together and started coming up with the idea with the hat and everything like that. So I actually borrowed a couple, you know, Roadkill's hat for the first couple of months before I wound up getting my own. Me and Chili really used to trade hats a lot, too, so. Oh, uh, okay. Well, well, I learned that. I never, um, I, that's the first time I had ever heard anything about that. I figured she was just like a fan of him, and that's how that started, actually. <laughs> no, uh, it, like I said, once we did it, it all kind of started working together. Uh, anytime we were in, like, the, the Michigan area, uh, Ypsilanti and uh, Detroit, uh, you know, Lansing or anything like a Battle Creek, uh, Joe C., who was with Kid Rock at the time, um, he was, at first was good friends with Van Dam and um, uh, Just Incredible. So we all just kind of started, you know, me and Van Dam have always been, like, really tight. So when he would come around, you know, he would hang out with us and stuff. And 
you know, a couple of times we just got to talking and he dug the gimmick. He thought it was just like really, really cool, you know. So there was a few times on some house shows that he actually walked up to the ring, you know, singing, uh, I'm Joe C, three foot tall with a 10 foot dick, kind of to, you know, uh, introducing, pretty much introducing me to the crowd's house shows. We didn't do anything on TV, you know, but we did a, you know, like two or three of the little small live events. You talked about uh, WWE being the big time, like the ultimate uh, wrestling promotion you can go to. When you got the call to WWE and you were about to make your debut, how nervous were you? Uh, I really wasn't, honestly. I mean, after a period of time in this business, you you were either a professional or you're not. You know, and you know, everyone strives to go to the top of their career. Um, WWE is the top of any wrestling career. I mean, it does. It doesn't matter who you are, even if you're wrestling for the big organizations in Japan. You know, you ultimately want that spot in the WWE. There is no other higher um, company. I mean, I think you can agree with that. That uh, once you get there, I mean, what else are you going to do if you leave the company? You, you can't go any higher in your career. You've already reached the top of, you know. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, to, to even stand out. You know, I did the, the Cruiserweight, you know, title hold. And then I uh, was a tag team. was uh, pretty popular there while I was out there, the Pitbulls, you know. So, um, I mean, I had a great time there. And, I mean, like I said, once you reach the WWE, there's no place but going back kind of back down <laughs> you know once you leave there so it, uh, so when you left the w when you left the wwe and you returned um to tna um what year was that again do you remember what year he returned back to tna i think it was with the new stage set up anyways uh, it was what was it like the new environment and everything in tna 2010 or 11 tna what was your question what was the environment like? Like, how is the new TNA different from the old TNA? Um, it was a good environment going back. Um, the the old TNA, I was there. I, I came in whenever they first opened the doors. So, you know, they were all just back then, and everything was just trying to together, come together. You know, and right around the time that I left the first time, I'd already been in Florida for about a year. Uh, doing the universal tapings and stuff, you know, and um, I mean, it was a, it, to me, it was a, a better environment coming back. I mean, people were much older and, you know, uh, more mature, you know, the company seemed to be run differently than it had before. The format was different, you know, back then it was, you know, the X Division and, you know, now it's, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, certain guys that they they picked out, you know, just like in the other company. You uh, okay, uh, winning. Sorry, uh, you can go for a Siki. Okay, well, the question I had actually was, um, is there any good road stories you can tell us? Because I have to ask every wrestler that because a lot of you have interest in road stories. I've got, I've got a ton of road stories, uh but I'm actually going to be um, um, getting a book together. So 
we are saving all the road stories, the true road stories, the ones that, you know, not these other books that have been written and tell only half of the story and half of how wrestling really is and stuff like that, you know. I'm pretty much at the point now in my career where, you know, um, you know, wrestling, the, the, it's changed so much, you know, from the time that I was in it, you know, that once I wind up leaving, that's going to be it for me. So, going to really, people over the years, you pretty much never see them again anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, everybody's asked me for years, you know, what's it really like? Because I think some of the stuff that they put out, some of the books that they put out, people read them and they're interesting, but it doesn't tell a full story. And I was, you know, I've been up for 21 years, you know, so a lot of those stories I was actually, you know, around and, and can tell you the real deal behind a lot of them. So, I'm just saving all my stories for for the book. Okay, well, can no, I ask I'm one question? Uh, and you can. I, we got a call. Um, we'll get to the caller first. I think it's this guy that um, well, comes on each week and talks about the current WWE angles, and you know, I guess <laughs> part of our show it's about the fans. So, uh, you're on the air. Shoot, what's up? Hey, how you guys doing? This is a really great interview. I really appreciate this. This is a great, I've been a fan, and I'd like to ask, you know, you talk about angles. How about that, Don Marie? She's hot. AJ, ooh, baby. Don Marie, we, um, I don't know who that guy is. He always talks about Don Marie. What did you think about Don Marie, the wrestler? Kid, as a wrestler? Yeah. I, I didn't think she was a great wrestler at all. I mean, I think she was a, a fantastic manager. Um, she was uh, really good at her job. But uh, wrestling just, I, don't, I didn't think, was really her forte. I you know, um, that's what I want to try to do. I, I'm trying to, you know, in a few years, I might want to go to a wrestling school, train properly, and try to be a manager. But in the meantime, what I do is I just keep doing these interviews on my site, and, you know, hopefully I get something good out of it. Um, the problem, I, I problem is right now. So what's up? Yeah, well, the problem is uh, with with today's wrestling. If you notice that there really isn't any more managers, uh, but there are there are just one or two, you know. So uh, you know, referees and stuff. If you're not able to to get in the ring and actually wrestle, you know, then you know, shoot for like a referee spot or something, you know. At least she can get out there and yeah, actually make a spot. You do a referee, you can go up. Like some wrestlers tell me, you go up from a referee, then they give you a chance. And you need, that's indie yeah. stuff, though. Okay. You don't do that in WWE. No, no, a lot of guys just start. No, no, a lot of guys just started that way. You know, started off as referees and wound up being one of the talents. So you know, maybe you just get start working out and work on it. You know, you never know what can happen in this business. Hey, you, you got that right. <laughs> you got that right. So, um, just to the fans listening, this will be on our Wrestling World at 247.com after the interview, so you guys can listen to it. It's, um, Tiki, do you have a few more questions for Kid Cash? Yeah, actually, Cash, and you don't have to answer this if, this if you don't want to, and if you want to, you can answer it exactly how you want to. Is there one person that you just... You just can't stand it. Rubs you the wrong way. You just would rather not deal with the person in any type of way, shape, or form. <laughs> well, there's there's a list of those. Uh, I don't know any one particular. 
Um, in this business, this is the thing about that. You know, in the wrestling business, you just have to understand. You know, you're around so many different people from so many different places. You know, I mean, I grew up and was raised one particular way. You know, and compared to somebody that was, you know, raised another way. You know, so not everybody, you know, is going to get along. But you know, there's been a couple people. I mean, like when I first met. Um, what's his name? Um, gosh, Aries, Austin Aries. When I first met him, we did a tour in Australia, and um, I actually liked the kid. I thought he was okay. You know, he was, you know, you know, he, he was. He acted like he had some sense. And then this uh, past time, I went to the TNA uh, while I was there for a little bit. I just noticed that he just completely wasn't the same person that he was before, and that, you know, honestly. It, it wouldn't hurt my feelings to just punch him right square in the face, you know, on a number of occasions, you know, but I tried to be professional as I could, you know, um, and then and withhold from doing something that's, you know, doing something like that. I would have done that if, if he was in, acting that same way when I was in TNA before, years ago, then it would have happened, you know, but over the years, you, you know, we, we we tend to grow up, we get a little older and calm down a little bit more and stuff and see things for what they really are. And, you know, once I realized that wrestling didn't give one damn, you know, shit about me, you know, personally, I, you know, it just kind of changed your mind a little bit. You know, we're so, you know, replaceable that, that it's, you know, it just kind of takes the the luster out of it anymore. You know, once you once a wrestler realizes that, it's all fun, it's good, you're trying to build your career, you know, and you, you go around the world if you're able to. You know, I was really blessed to be able to travel the world a lot, you know, and be what we call a journeyman type of a wrestler. You know, I've been in Japan and Australia and Europe and South America through the Caribbean, you know, I mean, Africa, I'm about to go to Russia. Here in uh, November, uh, October. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's just the the wrestling has just changed way so much, you know. So anymore, the the, the line of respect is pretty much just uh, a, just a fiction anymore. You know, nobody, none of the young guys. I mean, I've only met a few guys <clears throat> so far in the last probably, you know, maybe five to ten years that you know, do actually have some respect. Jesse Sorensen was a really good kid. You know, he, he's he got really good respect. And, you know, Aries, I guess, thinks, you know, his little deal with the ring honor and, you know, and stuff, you know, made him big in his own mind or whatever. I have no clue, you know. And, and it doesn't take much to suck up to somebody in the office, you know. I mean, him and Bitchoff were really tight buddies there for a little bit, so... Once they became kind of like tight little buddies, then you noticed, you know, they started pushing him a little bit more. But then you also noticed that he killed his own self off, you know, with, uh, you know, his arrogance. You know, that little deal with uh, Christy Hemming in the ring, you know. If you noticed, he really hasn't gotten that, that push he had before, you know. And, you know, but slowly but surely over the years, unless he smarts up like I did and like, you know, many others, you know, then his career is going to go on down the tubes and, you know, people are not going to care near as much as they used to because of his attitude alone, you know. My attitude wasn't that bad. It's just that I just had a pretty quick temper back in the day, you know, where I just didn't put up with too much shit and, you know, it wasn't wasn't beyond me to punch a promoter in the face or they ripped me off on an indie show or, you know, or 
challenge you know, somebody I was wrestling because they didn't want to go with the program, you know, want to, like, shoot on them or something like that, you know. It worked for me for a while, but after, you know, so long, you know, with the times when they change with wrestling, those types of things change too. So, you know, when I took a little time off in WWE and TNA, you know, that's whenever the growing up session started, you know, with me, you know, and things happen in your life and, you know, people come in and out and you, you go here, you go there and just you see things differently than you used to, you know, and that's well, you know, kind of what we happened. Would, we, uh, thank you. Uh, finish that. We have 30 seconds left. Uh, sorry for cutting you off, but, you know, nope. it was really an honor to have you here as an interview guest. Well. We really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, guys, anytime. Thank you. We'll Thank have you, you on in the future. Word. This is Wrestling Radio Ultimate. This will be on WrestlingWorld247.com. Thanks for listening. Yes, it will. Love y'all. See you guys. Yeah. Okay. Was that okay, guys? Yeah, we. Man, I think you. we're still. No, we're off the air now. Thank you, Kid Cash. All right, buddy. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you very much, Kid Cash, man. Next time, I'll hear about you at an event. I'm gonna have to come out and see you. Yeah, man. If you if you see Patty or Jack or any of those people up there, you tell them I say hello, man. All right, I most definitely will. And, yo, I'm going to send you a friend's request. I hope you have me again. <laughs> All right, man. Throw it out there. All right. All right thanks. thanks, guys. Peace. All right, bro. Bye. Peace. This next interview is really exciting because this was 2014. And this was right when Sam Udell, known as Travis Tyler, got released from the WWE. This was also the same year. That was one of my most successful as I was working with Bruce Hart. And I was going to put an interview with that up there. But I feel that I'm going to do that for part two. And I can't post anything from Heartbeat Radio since it's not my company. But I had an amazing run with Bruce Hart at the time. And this is one of the projects in 2014 that Jordan Garber now, formerly known as Jordan Garber's World at the time on AngryMarks.com, could do and uh, I'm really happy with this interview and what me and Sam accomplished following his WWE release. Check this one out. Release, I should say. Release. You're listening to the Angry Marks Podcast Network. Welcome to the first ever episode of Jordan Garber's World. I'm pleased to announce our first guest, Travis Tyler. Travis is best known for wrestling in NXT in the WWE developmental system, and I hope you enjoy this interview. I am here with former WWE developmental star Travis Tyler. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good, but I'm not Travis Tyler anymore. Sam Udell now. Sam Udell, um, Travis Tyler, pretty much he still wrestles on the Colorado Independence, but he is best known for having a stint for NXT, and which is kind of cool, because he was released only three months ago. Since that release, what have you been up to lately? Well, I had to get a real job, 
but uh, I've also been wrestling on the Indies, wrestling on the Indies in Colorado, and trying to get some bookings outside of Colorado, uh, helping train at a wrestling school, and just having a lot of fun with wrestling. For sure, and pretty much, like, you started, how did you pretty much get your start? Like, I remember a year ago, I made a rant on Facebook. The WWE developmental stars who just got signed right into the WWE without paying dues in the Indies. I didn't know as much as I do. I don't know a lot now. I I have a, I could have a say, but not as much as wrestlers, of course. Did you start out in the Indies before you made it to the WWE, or did you just get signed by the WWE and get trained by Bill? I had a really weird story. Um, I was a huge wrestling fan when I was a kid, and I was a wrestling fan growing up. Uh, that's actually how I got into amateur wrestling was I showed up to a uh, wrestling camp at the Air Force Academy. My mom signed me up for it, and I thought it was going to be pro wrestling. I was like 10 years old. And I got there, and it was on match, and it pissed me off. But I was good at it. And so I kept doing it all through high school. I got a scholarship to go to college. And uh, and I went to college up in western Nebraska, and there's no indie wrestling up there. And so it was just never – there was never an opportunity to train for wrestling. And, and so it was just I was going to just get a normal job, try and become a police officer or something after college. And – after the NCAA tournament my senior year in wrestling, in amateur wrestling, I got a Facebook message from Gerald Briscoe. I remember Gerald Briscoe watching him as a kid from being one of Vince McMahon's students with Pat Patterson. And uh, and he offered me a tryout in Tampa. This is when it was SCW. And that would have been May of 2011. And so they flew, they flew me down to Tampa with three other amateur wrestlers. And the tryout kind of went like you were in and you were or you were in SCW for a week, and uh, and we uh, they put us through stuff, had us try they tried to teach us moves. I think we learned like we learned like a back bump, a flip bump, a front bump, learned how to run the ropes, learned like how to do a body slam, how to take a body slam, and uh, we cut a promo on promo day, and I cut this promo about turn how I'm I'm Mister Turn It Up, and I always turn it up, and. Uh, I thought it was really good at the time, and everybody told me, like, oh, yeah, it was really good, and it made me think I was going to get signed. And looking back now, it was probably terrible. But uh, so they told me, yeah, we'll talk to you in a month, but they said you did a really good job. And I said, oh, okay, cool, and I was really excited about it. And once it became a possibility for me, I knew, like, oh, wow, being a wrestler is a possibility. I quit I quit going. I was I had, I had was undefeated in amateur MMA at the time, and I was I quit going to MMA training, and, and I was, like, really focused on wanting to be a wrestler. And then uh, Briscoe called me a month later and said, yeah, it's not going to happen because my body looked terrible and uh, I, was, I came in out of shape. But he told me that there's a school in Denver, which was 300 miles south of where I was. So I moved to Denver to find out that the wrestling school had closed. And then uh, my mom actually lived an hour south of Denver, so then I moved 60 miles south of there. And uh, there's a guy I'd worked security with one summer when I was home from college named Brandon Bishop. And uh, he had a re- he had a promotion, and they had a little storage unit with a ring in it. And I contacted him, and I went there to train a couple times. And uh, it's kind of funny. The first time I pulled up, there was a fat guy outside. There was a guy that looked – there was this ginger guy who actually turned out to be a really nice guy, but he was really skinny. And there was a guy that looked like the cartoon Snoopy. And I, I for some reason, I, I thought I'd drive up, and it'd be like being outside of SCW where everybody looks like an athlete. And so I almost drove away. But I stayed there, and uh, I trained for a couple weeks, and then they had a Pat Tanaka seminar. You know who Pat Tanaka is? Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah, he was in the Orient Express. Bad, he, he's more proud of his bad company days in AWA. His bad company was cool. Um, but Pat Tanaka was there, and uh, I came to the seminar, and he was really impressed. And uh, 
he kind of took me and one of my friends, uh, superstar Andrew Titus, he took us under his wing, and we hung out with Pat Tanaka for like the next year. And so Pat trained me, and we'd go to different gyms around Colorado, and we were kind of like, we were kind of like nomads around Colorado, going to these different gyms, and Pat would always run training with us, and it was, it was, he ran a brutal training too, it was always 500 squats before training, and, and he'd make us run around the building a bunch and blow us up, and then we'd have to do all these drills, and, uh, but it was good. It, it taught me just enough for when, uh, I reached out to Jerry Briscoe again, probably nine months in. Yeah, it would be nine months after I started training. I reached out to him again and, and I sent an email like, hey, I'm trying to indie wrestle and I've been training with Pat Tanaka. And, uh, the next day I got a call from the new head of talent relations and his name's Canyon Seaman. And he said, can you be in Tampa in three weeks for a tryout? I was like, absolutely. I was working security at a high school at the time and working security at a high school sucks super pissed off and uh it was just like a bad day and i got that call They're like can you be in tampa in three weeks for a tryout i'm like hell yes i can so i uh i went down to the tryout and it was amazing like what pat taught me in those nine months it was like he taught me just enough to get signed and to do well my to do really well like my first couple months and uh because i came down there and uh we just did and the trial this time it was way different than my first trial they pulled in 25 guys from the indies and uh and it was like they, we didn't have any contact with the FCW guys. It was the first week that Bill Demott had become the head trainer at uh, FCW. And uh, they blew us up a bunch. And uh, a little past halfway, and they pulled me and two other guys aside. And they said, you guys hit a home run. Uh, we're definitely going to make you an offer. And they had us, and they started telling us, like, this is, you're going to have your medicals and stuff and make sure you're not doing drugs and you need to pass your medicals and all that. And so that was a really cool feeling. Yeah, that was May of 2012. And, uh, so then that whole summer, that whole summer, I did all the medical stuff and, uh, got all the paperwork done and got moved down to Tampa and started September 17th, 2012 in, uh, NXT awesome. when it was in Tampa. Awesome stuff. And pretty much, like, it's kind of funny because I, I said, I made a status a year ago over social media about the NXT developmental. And I think there's a, there's a quite a list of some de- developmental guys and me being how silly I was at the time, I, didn't know, like, I, I go on cage match, so I searched, I don't know, guys like Jason George, yeah. yourself, Mojo Rally, and I said to myself, I don't like the guys that don't pay their dues in the indies, but after that story you just told me, it seems like a hell of a lot that you paid your dues. So pretty much one yeah, like, thing I could learn is just thing, about like, knowing the whole story. Even people in NXT, like, didn't know that for, like, a year. Like, I just, I just didn't tell people about it, really. So people just assumed, like, a lot of times that I was just, a guy who got signed right out of college and like all the fans thought too because I didn't do anything remarkable on me. I didn't do anything cool or remarkable on the Indies. I just kind of, I went to the shows that Tanaka got me booked on and they put me in a six man or, because I was big and I was big and I could do some stuff. I was big and athletic and I could do some stuff okay, but I was just so, I was just green as fuck. And so I just didn't, I didn't do anything to get noticed as a wrestler on the Indies. And so people just assumed that I got signed from then I got signed straight out of college or something. I just got signed for being an athlete. But yeah, it was yeah. I definitely I definitely uh, st- spent that year struggling and really chasing the dream. And it just I lucked out pretty early on. So pretty much, um, tell us like um, when you got all your training done and you had your debut match in um, FCW and and then the transition to NXT. Just tell us how those experiences were fo- noting that because technically, even though it was de- in the um, developmental territory you still pretty much made it to WWE. Just tell us how that went and how good you felt once you made your debut. 
Well, uh, it's actually a funny story. My first match was, uh, I wrestled Sawyer Fulton, who started with me at an NXT house show in Largo, Florida. And, uh, we'd been in developmental for like two months. Sawyer wrestled for a couple of years on the Indies before he came there, but he was also, he had also been a college wrestler. He's another guy who people say, oh, this guy's, this guy didn't chase it, but he just got signed for being a tall athlete. But he, Sawyer actually wrestled in the off season. He trained pro wrestling while he was in college wrestling, which is, which is pretty dedicated. But, uh, it was so they put Sawyer and I in like two months after we'd been in developmental. But they just asked us if we had our gear with us. And they said, we just want to see what you look like in gear. You're not wrestling. This is right before the show. And Bill's there and Joey Mercury's there. And we come down and Sawyer's in his gear. And they're like, well, go sit over there. Just because we just want to see. And we got time right now before the show starts. And uh, I come up and I've got these little trunks that are so that You can see everything. We used to, we used to joke we call them the naked trunks because you're almost naked in them. And uh, they're like, well, let me see you in everything. So I take it all off. I got my boot. I borrowed boots from somebody because my boots that I ordered online hadn't come in yet. And. I've got these naked trunks and nothing matches. And then uh, it was Rick Martell's old music. Uh, it sounded like porn music. Starts to play, and Joey goes, okay, we'll go out there because you're wrestling. And I was just like, what? And they pushed me out there. So we've got, like, this, like, porn music playing. And it's a tiny crowd, but I'm still n- so nervous. And I go out there, and uh, the ref was Jason Ayers, who's a ref on uh, – he, he's a main roster ref now. Great guy. Very familiar with him. And good guy. Really good guy. And Sawyer comes out to Monster Mash. And, uh, he comes out and Jason called the whole match to us. It's funny though, it was, ter- it was terrible because, uh, he's like, charge in, watch the big, charge in, watch the big boot. And he goes over and he talks to, uh, he talks to Sawyer. And so I go to run in and Sawyer takes that as like, charge in and Sawyer thinks he's going to give me a knee. So he like spins around backwards to give me a knee and knees me in the quad. And I'm coming in like I'm expecting a big boot. And so I still take a back bump and then my quad is just fucked. So I like can't really move. And, uh, I went over with like a cross, I went over with like a cross body, like it was like a three minute match. It was, it was a three minute match, but it was so exciting. It felt so good to be done with it. And then, uh, my first real match that I got to like prepare for was like a few weeks later and they tagged, they tagged me with Trent Beretta versus, uh, the Wyatts versus Roan and Harper. And, uh, talk about being in there with talented guys that make you look good. Like, so they thought, so then I think the coaches kind of thought I was better than I was after that match because they're like, oh yeah, look how good he did. But, I mean, there was like some of the most talented dudes ever. Like yeah. Trent, like Trent's amazing. And uh, oh, he's so he's still making a name for himself out there on the Indies for sure. Oh yeah, and, and uh, the Wyatts too. Like Harper, that guy's unreal. But uh, I was so nervous before that match too because I was like, oh god, these guys are good, and if I mess anything up, they're gonna be pissed off. And I was really nervous about it. And they're the nicest dudes too. And but luckily I didn't mess anything up anyway. And I told them I'm like, no, we and like, no, we wouldn't have gotten mad at you. And that was kind of my thing then too. I was always so nervous about messing stuff up. Like if I was wrestling a really good guy, like like Harper, like I wrestled the Wyatt family quite a bit. And uh, before that, uh, I like Harper or Cassius Ono or somebody. I'd be like, yeah, I I suck. I just kind of give them that disclaimer right before I wrestled them. I suck. I'm probably gonna mess stuff up out there. <laughs> I would set the bar low so that uh, when I did okay, they'd be impressed. You face these big names. And like the Wyatts, you faced Rusev in the past. Like, what's that experience like? What's that feeling like when you see these people become big stars, like the Rusevs, the Wyatts, these names becoming uh, main event stars in the WWE, and realizing that you faced them while you, you were in the WWE? Is that kind of a good feeling that you feel when you watch them on TV today? It's a, it's yeah, it's a really good feeling. Like, so many of those guys are such good guys. Like Adam Rose is such a good guy. Uh, the Wyatts are good guys. Uh, I used to ride with Russo, 
and uh, so that was really exciting. It was really exciting at the Rumble because he didn't, because of course he didn't tell anybody that he was going to be in the Rumble, and so we we kind of had our suspicions when he wasn't he wasn't there at uh at our live events that weekend, but uh, when he came out the Rumble, it was really exciting because he's one of my really good friends. Yeah, it's just it's awesome, especially in the rest too, Rudy Charles and Jason Ayers and and uh, Derek Moore. It's it's really cool to see your friends succeed like that. So what pretty much happens like once you got released from WWE, is communication cut with these like the Rusevs and the Wyatts? Do you still talk to them, oh, or is that pretty much it's pretty much done now? Oh, I, oh no, I still talk. Like they're like they're your friends are your they're pretty much the only people that you like hang out with for two years, and so you build really strong friendships with these people. And so no, I still talk to them. I still talk to a lot of guys there all the time. Yeah, I used like Bull Dempsey was one of my best friends in NXT, and me and him probably talk every other day. You know who Bull Dempsey is? Do you watch NXT? I do, yes. Regularly enough to know that? Okay. Yeah, the re- the Wrecking Ball game, it was awesome. That was, pr- that was really cool. I, I, I remember watching his stuff, um, for sure. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys, uh, Bull, uh, he doesn't like to be, I don't know, he doesn't, he doesn't like people, like to get like a lot of attention and stuff, like in public. And, uh, his first match with Mojo, where he, he kind of beat Mojo up at the start of the match. Everybody in the back, it, it was really good, and everybody in the back started chanting, bull, bull, bull. And it carried over, kind of became a thing at NXT. Like, we would start bull chants. And so what I would do to bull is, uh, and it, it would embarrass him a lot. I would start bull chants wherever we went. But then when it would get quiet, I would be like, hey, bull started that chant for himself. And, of course, everybody knew that it was me just saying that to be a jackass. Except bull would get really worried that people were going to think that about him. He'd squeeze my arm. Like, don't don't do that! Don't do that! And so that was like that was my fun thing to do. To, like I do that at the grocery store to bull them. Yeah, I start chanting full, 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 just to, just to make them sweat a little. It was great. Yeah, it's always good to have those. Um, I kind of personally myself, I wish I was one of those more quieter guys. And um, which leads me to my next question: a very very valuable thing in wrestling is to li- uh, listen more than um, talk. In your wrestling career, what is one of the most valuable pieces of advice that you have ever received? Ooh, some of the most valuable advice I received. I received a lot of good advice. One coach, he told us to make the most of uh, the opportunity we have and don't leave yourself with any regrets. Like, if you get fired tomorrow, be at the point where, like, you're okay. If they go, like, well, I gave it my all, it didn't work out. Where you're not like, oh, if I had just done this or I had just done this or I just tried to pitch this character. And he told us that, and he told me that probably halfway through when I was in developmental, and it kind of changed the way I was, kind of changed the way that, I went about things, and the day that I got released, I thought I'd be a lot sadder than I was. And I think that's a big part of it. I was, I was like, well, I gave it, I, I gave it everything I had, and hopefully I'll be back. But I, I really wasn't that sad because, and I think that advice really helped me. Pretty much, I was going to my next question is pretty much how did it all go down? Um, I got there's been stories before about wrestlers I interviewed, and they told me their release stories. But for specifically for you, pretty much tell us how it went out and what happened and how you felt at the time. Well, uh, I was, uh, I always wore, I always wore a pink fanny pack around. That's a, that's a little, uh, sidebar. I always wore a pink fanny pack around because I'm always wearing gym shorts at the performance center. So that my keys in my wallet and stuff, I'd always have my pink fanny pack on. And it was the day after a taping. And, uh, so everybody's tired because the taping is all day and it lasts until like one in the morning. Then we had practice at, uh, I think 9 a.m. And, uh, I was in Billy Gunn's class. And we weren't, we weren't supposed to have practice and they changed it and they said that like, everybody has practice because Billy Gunn's class and maybe Terry Taylor's class or something didn't have practice that day and they changed it and said everybody has practice. 
and I think it's because people were getting fired. And so my class had to practice because I was getting fired just to get me there. So I feel kind of bad about that. But uh, the, ne- yeah, the next day we had practice and we had to go to a show. So I'm already tired. It's going to be a grueling day. And I'm walking with one of the guys. And uh, when they had fired people a few months before, uh, they had had the secretary. And she was waiting in the door that the wrestlers come in. And she told the guys who were getting fired, come to the office. And her name's Rachel. I was like, what if, I was like, what if Rachel's standing there right now? <laughs> And I come in, and it's the head of the performance, it's the general manager of the performance center, and he's standing there, and I'm like, oh, my God. And so we're kind of walking past him, and uh, I'm, walk- I'm walking with a couple guys. C.J. Parker was one of the guys, because I'm walking, and uh, he-, he stops me. He goes, hey, hold on. I want to talk to you for a second. And he keeps talking to whoever he's talking to, but I'm standing there, and C.J. just looks at me, and his eyes get all big, and he's like, oh, no. And then, like, they droop, because he was one of my good friends in developmental, too, and they droop, because we all know what it means. Yeah. And I... Uh, He's like, yeah. Before practice, can you get out? Can you uh, bring your stuff down to the lobby? I was like, oh great. So I walked in, and there's four other, there's three other guys and one other girl there, and they're all pissed off. Except one of the guys doesn't. He's not sure that he's getting fired. Like everybody else knows we're getting fired. And you kind of look at the people in the room, and you're like, uh, yeah, I can see everybody here getting fired. Except for Sean Ricker. Sean Ricker, I didn't think would be. He's a really talented guy. I didn't think he'd be getting fired. But but uh, you kind of look around, you realize. And one of the guys in there was like, I hope they're not firing us. And this part, I was, I was like, good practice is going on, so we'd be missing practice if they're not firing us. And I was like, I was like, think about how much we practice here. Like, do you think they'd let us miss practice if this was something good? And uh, he got quiet again. And then there, uh, and then at this point, like, I made peace with that. I was getting fired, and uh, we're still waiting, still waiting. And so I, so I joked to the people. I, uh, I tried to kind of break the tension. I was like. Well, maybe you guys are all, like, really good at making a statue, and they're going to have you go in and, like, make a statue, and then it's a statue of me, and they're going to present it to me as, like, an appreciation trophy. And uh, a couple of people... You're appreciate trying to, like, like, calm them was, down, kind of. Yeah, I'm just, just trying to make light of the situation. And, and, like, that just... I made peace with it pretty quick. And they pulled a couple guys in first. And, like, I was, I, I was the last guy or the second to last guy to go. And so I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And, he, and the, the general manager pulls me in, and uh, I'm still wearing my fanny pack. <laughs> and he's like, uh, he's like, you probably know what this is about. I'm like, yeah, you're firing me. He's like, yeah. And, and I'm like, was anything special? Like special I did? He's like, well, uh, today the company's fired like seven percent or ten percent or something all across the board, and it's just kind of the way it falls today. And I was like, yeah, like I understand. And uh, he told me about like severance pay and all that. And then it was kind of like awkward. And I was like, I bet you've never fired anybody in a pink fanny pack before. And like kind of like shook the fanny pack, and he laughed at that and told me to stay in touch and all that. And they they told me like you didn't burn any bridges and you know burn any bridges and like and nobody had anything bad to say about you. Well, but I think somebody probably did if I was getting fired. But oh well. But yeah, it was like and then I thought I would uh I thought I would be I think I was so tired. It was like it was like the morning. I thought I was so tired. I thought I'd be more sad, but I was just really excited to go home and go to bed. Yeah, to shake it all off, pretty much. And pretty much, yeah. like, that's pretty much, but you you got to think of it this way, is that there's so many wrestlers or people that want to become wrestlers, and to make it to the WWE and make that step and to get signed and get noticed by these huge names that are on the top company of the world, do you pretty much consider it accomplishment that technically you made it to the big leagues? No. Like, I, I, I wasn't in the, I wasn't, I don't consider that the big leagues. Like, if I, yeah, it was, TV, the, I was, it was pretty much like the AAA. AAA. You're yeah, pretty much like that, AAA. Yeah, like, when I do explain it to people who weren't wrestling fans, when they ask, like, people, uh, I guess, reunions and stuff, and they ask what I did, I'd explain it kind of like that, like AAA baseball. But, yeah, like, 
if I look at, I feel like if I look at that as uh, like a huge accomplishment of being in NXT, then I'm not going to want to keep building. And I'm going to start like I try and train a lot still, and I'm going to start skipping training. And I don't want to be the guy who was like, oh yeah, well I was I was in NXT for two years. So yeah, I try not to. Well, I try not to do that. Yeah, I didn't mean it like you were in the absolute big leagues. You made you didn't yeah. you were on the main roster or anything. But at least like pretty much the point I was saying is that you did you did get signed by WWE and you were assigned to NXT. Yeah. So at least that's something to take home for sure. Oh, oh, definitely. Like, and I learned so much. Like, it was funny the the uh, first training session I came back to in uh, in Colorado when I left and like I came back like everybody was just like the stuff I was doing in the ring. People were just blown away. Because they remember me being a certain way, and then I, 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 I disappear for two years, and they, they see me on, on the network every once in a while, and they see me on Facebook and stuff. But then I come back and I'm working with them, and, and they're, they're amazed. Because the training is top notch. Like the trainers there were, are so, so good, so talented. Every trainer has something different to offer, and it's a really, really cool place. Um, pretty much any fans that are wanting to become wrestlers are pretty much get pretty much, or maybe even independent wrestlers that want to improve their look or to get noticed by WWE or pretty much in general anyone that wants to be involved in the wrestling business, um, in media like myself or as a wrestler, um, pretty much what is the uh, valuable advice you can give to someone? Um, don't, don't, uh, I guess treat people good. Like, I feel like it goes such a long way when people will vouch for you, uh, one of our coaches would say, it's not who you know, it's who will say that they know you. Like, uh, there'll be these guys, and guys will come in, guys will come into developmental, and you'd see it a couple, every once in a while, a new guy would come in, and there's rumors about heat he has with people, and oh, this guy was a dick to this guy. But it's complete, like, there'd be guys like that, and it's so much tougher for them. But then, like, there'd be a guy who comes in, like Sammy Zane, who everybody loves, who's always, who's always been cool to everybody, he's nice to everybody, nobody has a bad thing to say about him. And you see just how much better it is. It's like contagious, like how cool it is to be around somebody like that. Okay, any final words for the um, listeners here on angrymarks.com? I don't know. Do, do you want to hear any, like, any, any stories or anything? Any funny stories? Or... Yeah. One of my fa- okay, one of my favorite memories in wrestling. This is before, I'll, this is before I got signed. It's right before I got signed. We're with Pat Tanaka, and Pat tells me and my friend, uh, me and my friend Andrew, and, uh, this old man who uh, was trying to be a wrestler too, and he was kind of crazy. He, uh, <laughs> but he's awesome. Um, and he called himself the Polish Prince. But we're gonna go to Nashville. We're gonna drive from Colorado Springs to Nashville, which is like a 24-hour drive. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna work double shots every night. And uh, so the first night we drive all the way in. We're late to the show, but we wrestle. And we get to this hotel, and Pat's trying to save money because uh, we didn't make as much as we thought we were going to. And we go to this cheap hotel, and he, we've got two of us ducked down in the back, so the hotel guy only thinks it's two people. And Pat uh, and Pat goes in and into the hotel. He comes back out. And he goes, yeah, the guy saw you guys in the back. He said, if we get a room here, if we get a room here, and he finds four people in the room, he's calling the cops. And we're like, okay, yeah, then we're not going to stay here. And for some reason, Pat goes back in, and he's – and. He, well, so we hear shouting, and Pat comes, and Pat's like comes stumbling out, and he's screaming at the old man, he's like, oh, fuck up an old man! And, uh, and, uh, and the old man who's with us is in the car, Pat gets in, he's like, drive, this guy's calling the cops. So he went back in and picked a fight with the guy, and the old man started to pull away, and we're like, what happened? And Pat's like, he said, fuck you. The old man slams on the brakes of our car. He's like, he said, fuck me? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Pat's like, no, drive! And so he drives away, so he starts to drive away, and, uh, a car's driving behind us, and Pat's like, oh no, it's the cops. 
And the old man who's driving turns around and looks up and, like, hops the car up onto the median, like, swerves, almost crashes in this big thing. And uh, it was just one of those moments, like, that, like, I always love in, like, my career to think about, like, this is wrestling. Like, we had no money at the time. We had, like, we only had money for, like, two to fish to eat, and we are just trying to, like, we're just going from, like, these, around these towns in, uh, around Nashville and Alabama and stuff with Pat. And uh, I was like, man, this is wrestling. Like, it was almost like a cool, like, like a really cool, like, storybook thing. It really, like, just, like, affirmed me, like, making me happy, like, I'm a wrestler. Awesome. So, and that's actually a really funny story because a lot of, it's always good to get the road stories about professional wrestling. And in some cases, pretty much that is what wrestling is all about. Oh, yeah. Travis, I really want to thank you for uh, being on. Technically, this is the first official episode of um, JGW. There's will be on the website oh, there we go. first. So, so pretty much, oh, uh, yeah, good there we go. get that for sure. So, I appreciate you um, having uh, me on tonight, I, Travis. I'd say like a like a like a medium sized name, medium like a small medium name. <laughs> if like think of a it, shme- this a, shme- a shmedium. If anyone who would follow who follows WWE like religiously, who follows WWE all the time and NXT, and they, I, I would say Travis Tyler, they would say, oh, oh, I remember Travis yeah. Tyler. So pretty much, yeah. uh, at least in the least, a decent name for sure. So I appreciate you, you have, know, not being on tonight, Travis. Before I go, you know one of the most ridiculous things about getting fired from WWE, though? And what's that? It's like it's like you're getting fired from your job because almost everybody's been fired from a job, but then everyone in the fucking world knows about it. Like, imagine if you work at, like, Domino's Pizza and you get fired from Domino's Pizza, but then, like, Domino's Pizza, like, sends out a press release, like, you got fired. So I have people, like, <laughs> tweeting at me, like, Hey, asshole, you couldn't cut it. You you got fired. What a piece of shit you must be. Like, hey, fuck <laughs> off, man. I just lost my job. <laughs> um, I just thought that was, like, kind of funny. Like, I think if – I'm, like, really glad that I, I always try and have, like, a really good positive attitude about everything because, shit, some of that stuff would have got me down. Some of the people on Twitter who have never done anything in their lives. True, so true. Uh, some people are like that. They they have the right to criticize wrestlers, but they haven't even done anything. In the least, I'm doing a podcast and interviewing some decent names. Some people just sit and there and do nothing. And, and that's they awesome, man. Have the right I, I love podcasts. I love podcasts. I love I love all wrestling. Like that's my thing. Like people were asking me about, like, yeah, what do you like? What do you like more, mixed martial arts or pro wrestling? Well, I like pro wrestling more because that's that's kind of like pro wrestling. I really like the entertainment and stuff. But I just, I really like conflict. I like real conflict. I like worked conflict. I just, I really like conflict and like, just kind of like battle and stuff. And so I just, I love wrestling. I love talking about wrestling. And man, like, thank you for what you do because, because it's entertaining. This is the time for our guest, Travis Tyler, to give us any of his plugs. Uh, where can people follow you on social media just so we can get that out of the way? My uh, Twitter handle is at Travis Tyler underscore WWE. And then I've got Instagram, too, which is at Mr. Samuel Walter. I wrestle weekly for NRW Charge. It's on YouTube. It's New Revolution Wrestling, and it's in Colorado, and they run a weekly show on YouTube. It's pretty cool. They've got a cool training school, too. Uh, for booking info, you can uh, email sam1988udell at gmail.com. Awesome stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much, Travis, for being on tonight. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. That concludes our interview for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can keep up with me on Twitter, at George. And last but not least, this is our main event interview from 2015. Coming up with Kazarian. And 2015 was a huge year for the Jordan Garbernow podcast, reaching wrestling news headlines with none other than Maria Canellas. 
for the VLC Nation. So um, 2015 was a really good year. This is something I did solo at a Primo's wrestling show at the, uh, where is it, the Punjab Cultural Center on King Edward Street here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It was a big show. AJ Styles was booked, and he got an interview on the show as well. And uh, Colt Cabana was on the show as well. And overall, the event was a big, big success. So uh, this is an interview that I'm really proud of with none other than Kazarian from 2015. Our main event interview here for the best of Jordan Garber now, part one. You're listening to the Angry Marks Podcast Network. Welcome to Jordan Garber's World here on AngryMarks.com. You are about to listen to an interview I did with former TNA X Division champion Kazarian. Kazarian wrestled for Primo's Wrestling here on January 31st, 2015 in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And now you are about to listen to my interview with Kazarian. I am here with none other than Kazarian. How are you doing tonight? Good. Why are you, Mark, so angry? It's a good time to be a Mark. You don't have to be angry. Good okay. wrestling, New Japan, WWE, NXT, Primos, Lucha Underground, Ring of Honor, all these good wrestling. Stop being so angry, Marks. Well, that's what it's called, though. It's I called know, angry, I know. Marks. Stop being angry. God. <laughs> Come on. There's a lot of good wrestling out there. Let's let's be happy, Marks. Can we switch the Can we switch the URL to Happy Marks? <laughs> I will actually send that to my producer. We may change it no, to HappyMarks.com. <laughs> So tell us about starting out in the business. How did it all come about? Um, I think like everybody else, I was a, obviously a diehard fan. Wrestling caught my interest when I was about seven years old after seeing Rocky Three and seeing Hulk Hogan. And then immediately after that, going and renting the videotape of WrestleMania One. How archaic is that videotape? Uh, and then seeing that, and the first match was Tito Santana, and uh, I was just hooked, just enamored. Just and from then on, my life revolved around wrestling. All toys, action figures, video games, tapes, watched it. I primarily, in California, got WWF, so that's what I grew up watching. Reading all the magazines and reading about NWA and AWA and Crockett stuff in Mid-South. So obviously I knew who everybody was, but the only guys I saw on TV was WWF guys. And just made a decision as a kid, like, you know, this wow, this is what I want to do. I want to be a wrestler. You know, when we're kids, we dream big. I just really never grew out of it, man. Like, after high school, all my buddies and... Friends were going to college and joining the military, and back in my mind, I really want to be a wrestler. I'm really small at the time, but, you know, I got a job, saved us some money, tried to put on a little bit of size, got myself in shape. Back then, uh, Internet was still fairly new, so I just researched schools and sent away for books and talked to people and met legends such as Bret Hart and different people and decided Killer Kowalski School was the place for me to go. And what's some of the most valuable things that you learned from that school since he's such a great legend in this business? Well, first, first of all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be talking to you right now if it wasn't for him. He, I owe my whole career to him. Um, the reason I went to that school, which was in Massachusetts and I lived in California at the time, because uh, I wanted to be trained by the best and I wanted to be trained by a legend. And Killer Kowalski's name is, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's a household name, but it's synonymous with pro wrestling. So, so getting there and, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a lot of the in-ring training Killer was, Walter is his real name, was up in his 70s at that time. But uh, he was still getting in the ring. He was very, very generous to me. Realized I traveled 3,000 miles to be there. And um, really kind of like took me in. I remember he gave me a ride back to my motel after my first week and pulled me aside. And he said, uh, you, you take really good bumps. You have something. And that meant the world to me, you know, scared 19-year-old kid. 
But uh, and then from then on, you know, we had four four practices a week, and I didn't really have any friends up there, and uh, so I would ride to and from class with Walter. He'd come pick me up, and we'd get to class a couple hours early. So you know, I got the benefit of getting in the ring with him, just him one on one, which was invaluable twice on weekends. Uh, but the, what I learned up there, um, most importantly, is fundamentals, which I think is lacking in today's younger generation. There's still some guys teaching really good fundamentals, guys like Lance Storm and the Dudleys. And just repetition, 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 and just learning the fundamentals and how to work before learning how to do flashy moves and all that. Just learning the fundamentals of the business is invaluable. Uh, tell us about uh, coming to TNA. How did you get the call, and uh, how did you become such a big name there? Before becoming a big name there, how did it all begin for you? Well, I was on an overseas tour in Europe. I was working for Zero One in Japan at the time, and um, I did a tour with them. And right after that, I had a two- or three-week tour of Europe, and it was put on by this promotion called WWA, ran by Andrew McManus. And uh, Scott Demore was like the, one of the agents there. He was working for TNA at the time. And Jeremy Brash and Jeff Jarrett came in and Disco Inferno and all those guys were uh, TNA. And this is when TNA was in its beginning stages. So we did the tour and you know, they all kind of you know, said, oh, how long have you been working? And had that talk. And I knew, I'd known Scott Demore a little bit before that. And, uh, you know, just and they, the first time that those guys saw me work. So after that tour ended, you know, about a month later, I got a call. Uh, Asking if I want to come in from Scott Demore, asking if I want to come to TNA for a tryout. Oddly enough, I had a tryout with Ring of Honor and WWE the weekend, and then Wednesday I had a TNA tryout. So, and then I, I did my match at TNA. It was a six-man tag. Net got home, got travel for the next week, came back, and uh, got travel for the next week, came back, and was like, guess I got hired. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, I got a contract, and that's how it started, man. And um, about just uh you know what I think you know a handful of us that were there in the beginning like the amazing Reds and Low Keys and Jerry Lynn's Christopher Daniels AJ Styles um, Chris Saban guys like that I think we really put in the work to build you know what is today the X division and uh, I think uh, at that time it was something really new really cool that fans really got behind that basically defined what TNA was so I think out of that out of all those group of guys really created an identity for themselves as TNA X Division guys and that really uh, helped TNA get to another level I think you brought up uh, having the WWE trial and the TNA trials close to the same time um Obviously, people dream as a kid of getting that WWE tryout. Yep. How did you feel when you got that call? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd had tryouts before that. I had, you know, I my first time I went up there, I think it was 99 or 2000. I used to just go up and do dark matches anytime they were in Los Angeles or Anaheim or even up to like San Jose. I was working for a promotion called UPW, which was basically a developmental system at the time for WWF. And I had a good rapport with all the guys up there. You know, it was a lot different back then. I the guys kind of knew me by name, and, you know, I'd done a bunch of dark matches and Velocity and Heat and Shock on Saturday night, and me and Nova were teaming at the time, and we had a good thing going. I honestly thought, you know, they brought us up a couple times to do matches, and I thought, hey, maybe they might do something with us. And, you know, and I always just got the feedback I got was always, you're doing great, please keep doing what you're doing, you know. Okay. So, you know, having a WWF tryout wasn't much at the time because it was just like, well, I've had, you know, they've known who I am for a couple of years, so it was a... Uh, I became real comfortable up there, believe it or not. And uh, so it was just like another tryout. You know, it was just another, well, let's see what happens. TNA had released this video game, if you want to go kind of a bit back. They had this whole suicide character, mm-hmm. and they told you to play that suicide character. When they told you to do that, what did you think about that? Well, the video game was terrible, first of all. I can agree. Uh, but uh, it was just, you know, I was, I, I was, it, I had, at first I was really, really upset. I remember I got the call, and the Vince Russo was going, bro. Now, I know you were heavily involved with the video game. And I'm going, you know, Vince, I wasn't, as a matter of fact. He goes, oh, like he had no clue. 
He said, we got this character. His name is Suicide. And he starts pitching it to me. And I was furious at the time. And I remember after the, uh, oh, I, I, yeah, I can do a good Vince Russo. Uh, I, uh, and I remember going up and, and at a pay-per-view and asking Jeff and ask, asking Dixie and asking Vince and going like, what, you know, why me? And I, 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 like, they were explaining, this is what we want. We want a video game come to life. And I'm like, that's not me. If you want that style, I can, I can name you a thousand guys. And I pitched, uh, Pack at the time, who's now Neville. I pitched Sanjay. I pitched TJ Perkins. And they're like, no, we need someone we could trust, which I thought was BS. But, you know, I was really upset. And, but after a while, I was just like, all right, you know what? I'm going to take this as a challenge and I'm going to embrace it. And, uh, I did. And I thought I did a good job with it. Thoughts on Bad Influence? How did that all come about with you and Christopher Daniels? Um, Towards the end of 2011, uh, Fortune uh, had basically broken up. They had um, positioned Bobby Roode to be the top heel in the company, spot he had earned because he's great. And they were doing something with him and James. Uh, Chris and AJ had just kind of finished a little bit of a feud, and Chris wasn't doing anything. I wasn't doing anything. And so we pitched that we become a tag team um, because, we, you know, we'd been best friends for years before that, known each other for a long time, and we knew it would work. And... Uh, so, you know, they kind of let us, you know, they were like, well, okay, maybe, we'll see. And they kind of uh, positioned it to where it happened. And uh, it, it was instant chemistry like we knew it would be. And uh, it, it, uh, I think it blew up bigger than they ever thought it would. And, you know, we became one of the best tag teams in the history of the company. So you look at your career now. Uh, are you enjoying it nowadays? Absolutely, man. This is honestly, God, the first since last June. This is the first time I've been truly independent, God, for uh, – you know, I, it was 11 years. You know, I'd been under a contract in one way, shape, or form since 2003. So it feels good to be independent. I really like that. You know, I really like not necessarily having to answer to anybody. And, you know, our schedule is still really full, and we're still doing a lot of overseas dates. And, you know, Ring of Honor, which is having the time of my life there because they got such an incredible roster, and they treat us so good. And, you know, coming back up here to Canada and just, you know, having the freedom to do that and, Getting to wrestle guys that I, you know, had only seen and heard about and not had the chance to get in there and mix it up with has just been awesome. You know, I've had, I've had arguably some of my better matches, certainly some of our best tag matches in the last eight months or so since we left TNA. So is there anything else you want to say or? Uh... Hey man, just, uh, you know, wrestling's in my blood. It's, it's who I am. It's what I do. I love doing that. I love coming up here and working with guys I've never worked with, wrestling guys I haven't wrestled. Talking to younger guys, it's, you know, I'm very humbled and honored when guys come up and ask me for advice, and I'm happy to give it. It's paying it forward because somebody gave it to me. Getting to work with my best friend Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles, who are my two best friends in the world, and getting to, you know, still travel with them a lot. And I'm having the time of my life, man, so just thank you for your support, and thanks for supporting Indie Wrestling and Ring of Honor and all the stuff that we do. Thank you so much. Yep. That concludes our interview for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can keep up with me on Twitter, at Jordan J. Garber. You've been listening to Jordan Garber's World on the Angry Marks Podcast Network. Are you guys always worried about what could possibly go wrong? Well, there's no need to worry about that anymore with MoGo, free identity fraud protection. Download the app right now at mogo.ca. It doesn't just provide identity fraud protection. You can also check your credit score, finances, and make goals. Download the app and get protected today at mogo.ca. Alright guys, thanks for listening to part one of the best of Jordan Garber now. We're going to have part two for you guys here on Christmas. Sorry for the late upload, but I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And we'll be back again next week with a news update and another 
great podcast with part two of the best of Jordan Garber now. You guys can listen to Jordan Garber now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Spreaker, among many other sources. Just search on Google Jordan Garber now on your favorite podcast app. For myself, Jordan Garber, and the Jordan Garber Now podcast, you guys have yourselves a great night.